and the day that it happened he was you know he was in good form he was as he was he came into the house and he was like oh you're not ready to go yet I was to bring him to his father's and uh, I said no I'm just finishing earning this whatever welcome to social fabric conversations with people about their passion and their interaction with the community this week's guest is Linda Allen Linda is a therapist and a counselor but she's also an author of a book called see you in two minutes ma these were the last words her son Dara age 15 said to her before taking his life if you enjoyed this episode there are more on socialfabric.ie itunes spotify or wherever you get yours the program is also broadcasted weekly on near fm 90.3 monday 4 30 pm can i call you up a while We could reminisce on old days and we could talk a while. Sit and talk I think we're good to go. Okay, so Linda Allen, thanks a million for taking the time to come and talk to me. And uh, because I don't know you at all, I would like to know a little bit more about you, starting off for just a little bit of bio. Where were you born and tell me a bit about you. Sure, yeah. Um... Funny you ask where I was born, because I was born in County Clare, which is a, a still a place I love to visit. I love the wild Atlantic. Um, I love the sea. So, um, But I, I spend most of my life around Dublin and on the outskirts of Dublin, um, near uh, Rathgool and Nace. So I've, I've kind of grown up with the Dublin bias, if you like. I often point my car towards Dublin when I'm going out. My ex-husband used to slag me about that, because he used to point it towards them. The Midlands. So, um, so I've been, um, I've had a very varied and interesting life, if you like. I've uh, worked at many things and I began my, um, I began uh, my training as a Montessori teacher and I absolutely loved working with younger children because I found uh, the techniques we learned in just simple observation, just watch, watch what they're doing, watch how they're developing and then use that to support, um, what you what you do with them and that's kind of become the basis of how I've tried to live my life in fact you know I've become very interested as I grew up in people as a teenager I thought I was very cool but I realized I was just following the crowd you know I was just being one of the group even though I thought I was quite original I wasn't really Um, I think we're we're all original (laughs) yeah very um I was very lucky that after school I traveled for a couple of years and I worked in the states and I worked as a as a Montessorian with children up to the age of 12 um but I got to experience how to be independent it was great because I really learned to stand on my own two feet in a way that I may not have had I stayed at home and uh, whereabouts in County Clare? So I love County Clare. Ennis, County oh, Clare. Ennis and it's a well, gorgeous, yeah, yeah little uh, city, town. Mm. Um, they don't have a hospital that you can be born. Apparently, myself um, and my brother were the last year that they, he was the year after me, that they actually had children born there. So Everybody the maternity unit closed down Oh, there. wow. So they all go born in Limerick? I think it's Limerick, yeah. Okay. But so, so going back to Ennis in uh, whenever... That, that was a very small town. I mean, Ennis now is a quite uh, quite a busy little town, but uh, when, you, when you grew up there, it was quite small, right? It quite was very small, but I would have left it when I was five or six. Okay. okay. So for me, it's a place I we went back to every year. We had okay. family friends. We called cousins, and we never missed a summer down there. So I still had a very big connection with the town okay. and with a lot of the people there. Um, but it's just got a lovely kind of a vibrance about it, and it always had that, a good community and a vibrance, and then it, it's near the coast too. So, But that, that, that interests me because, again, there's all little projects about the community, but so when you move to, uh, say, Raccool and that area Nace and just the outskirts of, um, of Dublin, what was it like then growing up there? Did you have a nice community? Yes, we had, we moved first to Clondogan, which is West Dublin, and there was a great feeling there. There were like 18 houses on our road and we knew everybody and we lived opposite a school and we played in the school grounds and it was heaven. Then we moved as teenagers to outside of Rathgoo, which was on a backcountry road and two and a half miles nearest bus 
and it took me a bit longer to settle there because it was just I felt so isolated I was used to having my friends as next door neighbours um, but that said there was a lovely we st- I started to make friends on the hill and get to know people um, but the funny thing was when I had my children in Rathcool I found it to be quite lonely mm. it's famous now for a big coffee shop but there wasn't such a thing back in 94 and um so I actually did find a period of my life where I felt quite lonely there, even though I was in a, you know, a village at the edge of Dublin. So, And the one thing that always interests me, because we're all kind of the, the result of our parents and our community and so on. Was there anybody particular you remember that was influ- influential for you, like whether it's a teacher or mm. neighbour, somebody that you just go, yeah, that's what we looked up to. I did have a teacher, funnily enough. I had her for like fourth, fifth and sixth class and she was kind of strict. But there was something about how she related that I liked. I liked that she was very sure of herself and I liked the fact that I kind of knew she liked me. Um, And that helped. Interestingly enough, it really did help because if you feel like you're not liked by somebody else. But there was something about her that I was kind of found intriguing. And so much so that I always said I was going to be a teacher, but I was kind of modeling myself on her. Um, I'm not quite sure if she still teaches now. Her name was Miss Naughton at the time. It's probably been Mrs. since. But um, but some people found her very strict and I just thought, no, there's something about her I really liked. Um, yeah. So we're going to break it up with the first song, which is uh, Rihanna, Diamonds. Shine, Shine bright, bright like, like a, a diamond. diamond. You know, that song is just really close to my heart. Um, it's it's interesting because it's jumping ahead to the ne- part of what we'll probably talk about. But it came very strongly shortly after my son passed. And I got this very strong message one time, uh, maybe weeks after. And it was like I saw the clouds open and I heard the song in my head with this beautiful light shining down. And I kept saying, shine bright like a diamond. My God, that's really interesting. So I heard it three more times that day. It just everywhere I went, the song was there. Um, and now it's kind of my feeling of that's what we're supposed to do. As human beings, we've forgotten. We're supposed to shine like children do. We're supposed to be alive and happy and bright. And my God, life can actually beat that out of us. So that song always reminds me this is what we're here for and it particularly says to me no matter what happened to you you can still shine so I particularly like it for that reason just going to stay a little bit with uh, with your bio as such because um i'm just curious about um the formative years that's always interests me because uh, i can pinpoint my my teenage years and i remember exactly what i was doing what i shouldn't be doing and all of that but can you describe uh, me linda in 16 years old or 17 years old going into the world you say you went to the states was that the time you went or was it a little bit oh, later? a little bit later okay. yeah in in my in my teenage formative years i was uh, god i was quite the rebel i didn't go to school in my locality i went a few uh, i went in temple Ogan, or it was a bus ride away and i went through a period of being quite the rebel and not going into school and going into dublin city and going into trinity college and pretending to be a student <laughs> in there um but during that time i i had an invincibility that i think teenagers feel that they have and there's something good about that but it just it is that period where you're trying to define yourself and you're trying to find yourself and i now knowing that that i've done a little more study i realize i was such a typical teenager I was carrying out all of the things teenagers do, but I thought I wasn't, <laughs> which kind of made it interesting. But I had a very big connection with nature and it never left. And as a 15 year old, I we had moved to our new place and I heard I had a tree I used to go to with my journal and write in and I used to climb in and write. But one day coming home from school and there was a man sawing down the tree 
And I leapt out of the car. I said, Dad, slow down. And leapt out of the car and I went over and I absolutely was so distraught. And I wasn't known for having a temper. So this was unusual behaviour for me. But um, it turns out that he was cutting down the tree. He said it was diseased. I didn't believe him. They were building a golf club. But years and years later, my father met him. And he said that I really impacted on him. And that it, he thought twice about cutting trees since. And that he'd even saved a tiny piece of the bark for me. And I thought that was really amazing. So so I had that as well as this rebellious personality. I had a connection with something else. And is that still there? Oh my goodness, yes. So when you say about nature, what 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 do you do? Like is it getting out and? Oh yeah, walking. I I I find standing with my back against a tree, and I just it's like I just let myself breathe there and let myself be absorbed by the tree and just let the tree hold me up you know sometimes when things are really intense this strong bark with the big deep roots for me just means I'm grounded I'm okay and I've often said tree I'm really having a hard time can I have your strength can I have your wisdom do you know and can I can you have whatever you need from me and it sounds kind of bit nuts maybe but it's very gives me great comfort oh no sure if it works I mean I, I, I do understand it I wouldn't I never tried, but that doesn't mean I won't. Yeah. But it's uh, it's an interesting... Uh, Sometimes it's just looking at a flower, just spending a moment and looking at the magnificence of it. You know, it it can be a moment or it can be... Sometimes I know I need to go to the sea today. I just need the expanse. I need the feeling of the expanse. And so what was it like to go to the States there? Where did you go in the States? I started off in... I went for two summers to Chicago, New York. Absolutely loved it. And then I went uh, to California. I went to Minneapolis in between. But I lived in California for three years, outside of Los Angeles. And um, it was a fabulous lifestyle. You know, it really was. You come home from work and you lived by... There was a pool nearby and a barbecue pit. So a couple of hours after school, you'd forgotten you had been in school that day because, you know, you were kind of hanging out, talking to the neighbours and cooking your steak. And so it was a really nice lifestyle for three years. And it's interesting because I didn't understand things the way I do now. And there was a movement back at that time for people to be getting connected with themselves. And I remember finding the, the idea hilarious that you'd you know, get to know yourself and start telling yourself you loved yourself. And I thought it was really funny. But actually, it's a very valid way to live your life. You know, and it really is helpful when you do take it on. So well, we're caught up with that now. We, we, oh, we are. We're yeah. very caught up yeah, with that. Yeah, yeah, which is good. Yeah. No, I appreciate what you're saying because uh, especially anything coming from California, we always kind of laugh about it for a while. And then 10, 20 years later, what is McDonald's or, or, yeah. or mindfulness, we take it on. We decide it's a good idea, but yeah. you were there at the time. Yeah. That's great. Um, you have a fantastic song, which is going to bring us into the next part of the conversation, which is uh, Tim Shell by Mumford & Sons. And he specifically told me it was performed for you by Dara's Friends. And so That's a beautiful song. It's an amazing song. And uh, I listened to it a few times with this conversation in mind. And brought all new meaning to to the song yeah death is at your doorstep and i love the part that it will um it won't it'll steal your innocence but it won't steal your substance and i thought oh my goodness and then we are not alone you are not alone in this together we will stand and those young lads were singing that because they they played music together and those young lads were singing that to me, the mother, you are the mother of the baby child, which is even a line in the song. But it was that moment of, oh, my God, there is something greater than our experience of trauma and loss happening in this moment. And they sang it at my book launch, the couple of them. So it's been a song that has connected. And you and I were speaking earlier about how music connects. And with the young people, because I'm a generation ahead of them, um, they were, Dara was 15, they were 16, 17. I was the mother generation, but music was a platform. It was a place where we could all meet. And I could, it was like we could all suffer, but, but, but also transcend it. And so there's, there's many songs, but that one for me is just the absolute, you know, penultimate song in terms of the lads having a deeper understanding 
greater than I might have given them credit for, actually. So it's um, I don't listen to it too much. And I, I know it's a bit of a, if you know this backstory, it might be a little bit of a, a tearjerker even, but it is beautiful. You know, your substance can survive even if your innocence is no taken away. Cold is the water. It freezes your already cold mind. Already cold, cold. Death is at your doorstep And it will steal your innocence But it will not steal your substance And that brings us into uh, to the conversation about your son, Dara um, And that's how we came about each other with, uh, through um, a mutual friend um, So if it's okay, can you tell me a bit about Dara? So Dara, your son, 15 yeah, um, and and like I describe myself, a bit of a rebellious teenager who was definitely going through teenage um, kinds of issues. He um, was very vivacious, very lively and really social. Um, Dara liked to come in the door with his whole team crew to have dinner. And I was like, seriously, can they not wait outside? He just had that kind of a, I don't want to miss anything. Um, so he, and he was he was having difficulty at school. Definitely there was an issue there. He definitely had started experimenting. You know, I had found him with drink on him and it wasn't great. I knew he'd started smoking. He was even starting to smoke dope. And I don't know how much all of that impacted on what happened. But he was in a, a class and in the summer, right before the summer, one of his, his classmates took his life. And it impacted massively because at that point I was living down further in Kildare in a small community called Rathangan and it's it would be much smaller than um, where I was brought up. And so it was a huge impact. And then six months later, the same class though, Dara uh, ended his life, took his life. And there weren't anything, there weren't any very obvious precursors to Dara's. He definitely, I had, I had asked him, would he consider going for counselling? Because I could tell he was struggling. But not in a way that had me very nervous. Um, but I definitely knew he needed support. And he was going to the school counsellor, who he said he found to be very helpful. Um, he didn't get on great with the school principal. So he'd asked, could he move school to near to where his father lived? Because his father and I had been separated for years. Um, which wasn't far from me either. And I thought it was kind of a brave decision, but he seemed quite mature in it. So we had a couple of chats with them and decided that would be okay. So sitting here now, six years later, you can imagine that every possibility and every conceivable mix of that has gone through, not only my mind, but, but I'm sure everybody associated with them. What combination of factors caused him to end up in a place where he felt like there was no other way. And the day that it happened, he was, you know, he was in good form. He was, as he was, he came into the house and he was like, oh, you're not ready to go yet. I was to bring him to his father's. And uh, I said, no, I'm just finishing learning this, whatever. And um, he said, I'll see you in two minutes then. Uh, ma. And he didn't come back. So I called his father and I said, he's gone missing now and I'm supposed to drop him over. And he said, look, I'll go over for him in an hour. He'll be fine. And um, he came over and then he rang me. He said, I'm actually not finding him. So we didn't. What worried me was for a little while, I thought there was occasion when he'd have his, his battery was dead. Apparently, I wasn't quite sure it was because sometimes you'd find he you could call his friends. But this time we couldn't get his friends. Nobody knew where he was. And his, his phone was off. So they were kind of worrying um, symptoms. Uh, and unfortunately, when we found him, he was lifeless. Mm. And, um, but just, just to go back for one second on, on um, Dara's, you were saying, you know, you kind of life of the party was always, you wanted to be part of all of that. And, 
Ratanga is quite a small place, but what did you, was he into football? I know he was into music, you said, he was playing music. What, what, what was his day like? I mean, I'm just trying to get a picture of, for people listening, you know, looking at you know, my children and, and okay, but that's that's what's happening, you know, what they're doing. And you mentioned the signs and no no signs. And what it just, I just want to get an idea of how, like on a normal day, what, what was his life like? Yeah, he 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 had um, played GAA, and he had played, but he'd had a recent uh, shoulder issue. He'd uh, dislocated his collarbone, so he'd had an operation on his shoulder, and he wasn't playing at the time. He'd been out for a while. He had been a very good member of the youth club, but that membership had started to slip as well. Now, ironically, the day that this happened, he'd been down in the youth club with them, and had been helping to decorate it for a Christmas panto or um so he had he was in and out, but he was starting to let go of some of those things. Um music he'd started to slip away from as well. He used to play the drums and the lads used to practice in our house. But he went so he'd he would go to school and sometimes he would go down and watch the practice if he wasn't playing. He did um he hung out with the lads one of them would come home with him in the evening and they'd come into our house and the two of them would play Xbox and then he'd walk, my son would walk him to the end of our uh, road and your man would go on home. So he had a very good social group. A normal 15-year-old Very life. normal 15. And yes, yeah, sometimes you'd drive up by the local shop and there'd be a few of them outside and I'd be saying, oh God, hanging around at the shop, don't you just love it? But the thing about him was, and his friends, they were very sociable to with adults. Mm-hmm. Do you know what my, um, I had a friend and well, she was a, my team leader at work, but she was a good friend. She became a good friend. And she would say, you'd go into the shop and rather than the street kind of, you know, lads at the corner, he'd be over going, how are you, how are you getting on? And how are, you know, so there was, while it looked like they were hanging around the corner, they were also very interactive with the people. But a small town has that too. Sure. Okay, just going to break it for a second, because I said there's a lot more I want to ask you, but uh, something inside so strong. I mean, that's what a fantastic song. Mm. Why did you pick that one? Um, because given what's happened, and not only just ours, uh, death but but a lot of of life struggles often call that part of us out and every single one of us has something inside of us that is if if i thought that i could tell people it is absolutely part of my mission to tell people there is something inside of you that's already so strong but it's also so perfect it's also something that doesn't need embellishing it doesn't matter what hair, makeup, job, whatever. There's a part of you you arrived into the world with that's already there that you just need to let it come up to the surface. And that something inside so strong is that. And sometimes we only learn that part or or uncover that part of ourselves when something really challenging happens to us. And I love the song because it often has a sense of people standing up to that which isn't right or people overcoming that which isn't you know the world is very unjust and I know I have a strong sense of justice and I know Dara had one he often got in trouble because he's standing up for something he thought or somebody but that song sort of says there's an appropriate way obviously to do that but to find that and that you actually do know when you can just tune in there's something inside that won't lead you astray but we need to remember what that is The taller I become The further you take my rights away The faster I will run You can deny me You can decide To turn your face so you have another, you have a daughter, am I correct? Yes. Um, she's she, she's older, older than, than, than Dara, okay. So what I'm curious about is after the tragic death, uh, Dara's death, well, obviously what happened, what, what was, um, how did your daughter take it, first of all, and how has she been coping with it since? Because that's, and obviously you have your way of coping and we'll get to that through the book and so on. Um, 
but I'm, I'm curious about the sibling and how yeah goes. the sibling it's a tough one from a parent's perspective because you're so helpless in it mm. um shoot kira would have a very she would describe as a very different way than me um she would describe her way as much more private um so she would keep it hold it to her closely um she's okay with me talking about it but it wouldn't pass it wouldn't be her way um and she really had a good relationship with them which i think has helped um and for her it was really important it sounds like an interesting thing but it was really important that she saw him she said i had to see him or i wouldn't have believed that he wasn't there so that was kind of an important crux for her since that then what happened to her the one thing that that really impacted on her was being in our home she was able to be in our home but she wasn't able to sleep there she just couldn't bring herself to to sleep there and i could really understand that um so she didn't now she was 19 and in college so she was at an age where that was an option for her and she she found her way with a very good support system in terms of her like her boyfriend and his family and my family but she kind of used them in a in a slightly different way than i did we talk about him we joke about him we we have you know we, we're playful about the fact that he might be able to be available to her to help her find something or to help her get a you know get well in this interview or whatever so we do talk about him and where she's at with it now she said this was one of the better christmases so i, I that to me meant that she's starting to you know get you you, you do change your in your perspective mm. Um, so it's nice to hear that she felt that this was a better Christmas. That's interesting you mentioned about talking about it. One of my previous guests, it was a, a wonderful young man called Daniel Hannigan, and um, his father committed suicide. He was only five years old, and um, and that was one of the things he mentioned that his mother always talked about the father with him and his, his younger sister, and that helped him. And now he's doing some wonderful work for the Three T's. He does this amazing. Um, catering five-star catering and raises funds for the three t's that are helping to turn it again against the tide against suicide so it's interesting you mentioned that mm. you also mentioned support there apart from the family support uh, the immediate family yours and our boyfriends and so on did you go and seek support outside of the family unit as in I don't know. Therapeutic style. I don't know. It, it, yeah, I don't know what's out there. Yeah, I, I did find my, I would have had a lot of um, grounding in that, if you like, because I spent many years training in different aspects of a lot of it is complementary therapies. But I've always been interested in personal development, mm. my own and others. Mm. So I didn't go for very specific bereavement style counselling. But I did. Um, I do have a, my own network or support system that I used and I go I, I went I still go actually to a woman who is um who is a counsellor body um biodyn body dynamics psychotherapist I think is her actual title mm -hmm. but so so that just helps me to get you know to get perspective um it helps me with my own work as well so yes I did but I didn't immediately okay. uh, it took some time before I I just I used the supports that I already had in place. They were very, I very much had them in me because of the work I had been doing over many years. Um, but I think it's important to reach out if you're struggling with it. And that was going to be my next question because there's, um, I mean, I grew up in Italy, but it's not that far off from here. And uh, there's always been the taboo talking about suicide. It's always been like if somebody dies of old age, we're all very good at going around to the house and bring the lasagna and have a chat about it. It's fine. But um, I obviously grown out of it. I wasn't apprehensive to meet with you and talk about it. Because it is really important to talk about any issues. But what was, I mean, the, again, I'm curious about the, the friends, the real friends that were around you. Uh, did they come out to help in the, in, in because ways. it's not easy. And, mm. uh, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to put them in a, in a bad light, if you know what I mean, because I, I can understand it's very difficult. So I'm just curious how that process went. I was very blessed. I had a really good, strong group of friends and I've had them for years. And they came out in ways you couldn't have even imagined. They, they, 
they were able to see you know see things in me that I wasn't even that conscious of so I was really blessed but that said there were plenty of people who didn't know how to speak to me in fact I met someone quite recently who I would have known years ago and his discomfort being around me he actually just had to leave and and I knew it was because he didn't quite know how to talk about this I've experienced that for a num in a number of of um situations and I understand that it can be very difficult for people. Well, even for, you know, when somebody passes, we still don't quite know what's right to say, mm. what's okay to say. And there's a combination of trying not to tread on the toes of the person who's suffering. And there's a combination of not knowing how to make sense of it yourself. And I do think the taboo is really lifting. But it's unfortunate that it's lifting and there's this other problem that there's so much of it around now that people are beginning to get concerned that if you talk too much, I've had a number of people say to me, but if you're talking about it, is that not going to give somebody the idea that they could, this is an option, whereas it might not have been an idea as an option before. And I'm not sure where the answer lies in that. And I'm sure there's plenty of research will be, you know, giving us some feedback. But my feeling is people who are in trouble, once they say it out, once they get it out of them, they're much less likely okay. to do harm. So that's interesting. So that <clears throat> for anybody listening, they might be concerned about somebody. Uh, it's important to talk, to ask the question. Yes. It's important to say, are you okay? Yeah. And can I do anything? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because again, I, I few of the people I've had on, the, on this uh, podcast have been talking about um, the importance, you mentioned as well, reaching out, you know, what it's from, from your point of view, going out looking for help, being brave enough to say, look, I need help mm-hmm. and not keep it in for yourself. But, uh, okay, um, don't you worry, child, Swedish House Mafia. That was an interesting one. I thought, oh, that's an interesting song. I want to know why. <laughs> well, again, it's associated with him. As I said, a lot of the songs sure. now. Um, I was struggling one night a lot. Well, one night as if there were plenty of nights. But um, so... What happened was I dreamt that Dara came to stand over the bed and he was singing, don't you worry, don't you worry, child, heaven has a plan for you. And it's quite a dancey song. And then he said, the next bit's for me, ma'am. And it it goes into the, the mad, wild music. So that again has become a bit of an anthem for me. So I, I, I enjoy when I hear it because I feel like it's, again, a message. There's a plan. This all blew up in your face, but there's a bigger plan. And if I can remember that, I can manage to do well enough. So um, three years later, I was walking through Nace and I was feeling, I literally was walking along going, what is, what am I, like, what's the purpose now? What am I doing? How How am I going to, you know, be in the world now? This is... And I was just having really struggling with one of those days. And I just said, Dara, I don't know what you're doing, but I can't even feel like I can connect with you anymore. You know, when I wrote the book, I felt like I could connect. And I'm not kidding you. About two minutes later on a tannoy on the top of a car, that song was playing. And it was, in fact, it went through the whole town. And I was going, oh my God, okay, okay. And I started to laugh saying, look at even if that's just coincidence, it made me feel so much better in the moment that I was delighted to be able to say thanks for that. So again, the song has a little message. That's a fabulous story. That's great. Sist nås vi har nyheten att det svenska succébandet Swedish House Mafia lägger ned. Medlemmarna som arbetat tillsammans sedan 2005. I used to look into my father's eyes In a happy home I was a king, I had a golden throne Those days are gone Now the memories on the wall So we come to your book because um, you mentioned earlier on seeing two minutes, ma, and that became the title of your book um, which when I went to research a little bit about you, I just read that. That was enough for me to to formulate my own story as a father in my head and what 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 that must. I can't even think of what it must be like, but it's it's an amazing title, really. Just 
drags you in even before starting the book. Um, so when you know a published author, which is great in, in terms of you decided that was was the right thing to do to put it out there and let other people know your experience, your journey, and why. So, how long did it take you to write, and why, and when? Like I know you say you do journaling, you always done journaling, which obviously helps putting thoughts into. Just give me a bit of an idea on the process, how long did it take you, and how. Um, yeah, and I, it wasn't, I didn't plan it in, in that, it might have been related to the, the theme of the last song, in a way. Um, I Journaling was actually my saviour, but it took me ages to journal after he died. So when I started to write again, um, I was so flooded with emotion, as you can imagine. But there was just one night I sat up and I was, I, I started to really write differently. I felt it was a bit differently. And I, I said to myself, God, you know, it's a bit tragic in a way, but it would make a good chapter title. See you in two minutes, ma. And I started to write underneath that and I knew it felt different and I knew it, it just seemed to flow. And what I really started to do, I started to do that as a piece of kind of cathartic, just clearing, because it is something I've used as a tool. Um, but it started to grow and I started to be really writing in this sort of different way um, more and more. So I think it possibly, it started to take a life of its own. And I said it to somebody, a colleague in work, and she said, would you let me have a look at it? You know what you're right because she's very she's actually very creative in writing herself and she had a look at it and she said it's moving really fast and you language emotion in a way that i haven't come across you know a lot so i said okay i'll keep going so i just kept going um and then my brother introduced me to a man who um has a very different if you like model in terms of he's he's really academic and he i'm very emotive but he really understood what I was writing about in a way that was just incredible. And he made it his mission to make sure I got that book out and published. And he really did. He was kind of the underneath, if you like, the the, the furnace. He kept the furnace alight. He kept saying, this, this is important. This is not just for you. This is not just your healing. So the more I wrote, the more it felt purposeful. And the more I wanted people to know. What I found interesting was... We all feel emotions, but some of us don't even know how to put words on them. We didn't learn in my generation. Now we're much better with children and saying, oh, you're angry. OK, well, let's, you know, let, let, let have that anger. So what I was able to do was 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 speak about it. And then because I had such a good cohort of friends and they sent me away, they gathered money and I went away for six weeks to Thailand on my own. And that was an extraordinary experience. And so the book gets kind of interesting then because I'm off somewhere else and all of my goalposts have changed. Nothing is familiar anymore. And I'm I'm an older woman that has no responsibility having had, you know, the couple of jobs, the kids, the mortgage, the whole lot going on. And it's just such a contrast that people kind of enjoyed it. And it's almost like it gives a refreshing, um, a refreshment to the, the heavy emotion that starts off with. So... And the thing that I think is most important about it of all, Andres, is that it says that even when the worst stuff happens, that you can turn yourself around. You can, I only can take charge of me in it. I can't change what happened, even though I've had many a tantrum and shouting and screaming at everybody and nobody. And, but I can really change me. And, and, and that means I have to stay, you know, live a full life. Remember how to be happy, smile, laugh, all of those things. Notice the flower, stand with your back against the tree. Mm. All of that was part of my healing. And it almost is, that's in there. Mm. That's that's very interesting. And, and obviously, I've never met you before, um, but it comes across that inner peace. It comes across talking to you now. Um, and But I'm curious, Are you? did you find out more about yourself by writing? Did you discover parts of you that you didn't know existed in the, through the process? Uh, yes, I think, yeah, I think it's nearly impossible not to when you write, you know. In, and I think, in fact, that's been part of the interesting um, piece for me around journaling. It's somehow when you put it out on paper, it just seems to take a different kind of a, 
a vibe from it. In fact, I think they say it brings you into your logical mind so that it's it's not so emotive, even though when I was writing the book, it is, it's, it's very emotive. Um, but I guess I discovered a part of me that is, it, it, it's like I got to see the world through my own lens in a way that you you wouldn't before. It's almost like a an introspection mm-hmm. on a very deep level. Um, and particularly because I'm writing about something that's real. And I find it interesting because I I sort of left the, the reading novels thing. I'm coming back to it now for quite a long time because I started to get much more interested in real stories or people's stories. Um, and that's just as a reader before I ever thought about writing a book. So there's something about me that really wants to know and is curious about how we operate as people and how our environment impacts on us and how we, you know, how can we best serve ourselves? I've had that from a young age. Mm. So this just showed me that I really do have that at a very deep level because that's what this book, you know, is really a a, a complete and utter investigation, you know. No, I am looking forward to read it. Very grateful you brought a copy with you and I'm delighted. But do you think you have another book in you? Yeah, I've started. Okay. Oh, that's good. <laughs> and the, the the feeling, the the essence of the the next one is really about this kind of thing I was re- re- referring to earlier, is that you know we really have something in us that we really matter in the world. If we really knew how much we mattered in the world, we'd worry less about so much of the superfluous stuff we worry about. And that we have an impact on every single person we meet, even the people on the street that we don't even know. The amount of people that Dara had known or smiled at or said hi to or spoke to in school that came to me or parents who said, God, your son impacted on me. It's incredible the impact we make on our society. And we don't always know. And so the the essence of this one is really about how do you get in touch with that part of yourself that is already perfect. Sounds interesting. Looking forward to it when it comes out. Mm-hmm. And then you have one of my favorite songs of all time, uh, Pink Floyd. Time. Time. That, that that there's a lot of Pink Floyd in my in my early days, and it was hard to pick one. Um, but I love that the the uh, idea of we're so busy kicking around on a piece of home ground, and next thing you know, time is moving so fast, and it's so. It's it, it kind of slips away from us and it feels long and short and we don't realise half the time. No. And nowadays even more, I think that song is even better because we really do need to just take a moment and we don't. We don't take a, any moments. And so I love the idea that it's important, but we only get the realisation it's important when we've lost a lot of it. So you come into your middle or later life and you go, oh my good Lord, what just happened? And what was I doing? So um, they have so many songs with such great messages and I felt that that was a really particularly good one. your professional life I, uh, again did a little bit of research you you have quite a few strings to your bow you do um just tell me what you do because I, I read a few things i wrote it down but it's therapy yeah in, in a way tell me a bit about your, your it, professional it's all connected to therapeutic i mean i used to work with um, groups in adult education and i used to work with children in care but now i work for myself pretty much with one-on-ones um helping people cope with stress and, and anxiety and uh, life's you know difficulties um, I do a fair bit of group work as well with using mindfulness techniques a lot um, and breathing techniques and doing things like uh, stress resilience. How can you build resilience in yourself in this crazy world? Um, and I speak and that's one of my things that I really enjoy doing. And it kind of came through the book, whereas I, I go and I speak to groups about it depends on the orientation, but mostly it's about how can I help you empower yourself 
How can I help you? What tools can you use? So it doesn't really matter what context. All the strings are very similar. They're all attached to the one violin, I guess, because they make the music of helping people um, come back to themselves or find a way to manage themselves and so that they find happiness again in their day. Because life isn't fair. It can be really challenging and stuff keeps... And this is what I found fascinating. Hard stuff still happened to me after that. I thought, oh my God, I've had my fair share now. Nothing else difficult is going to happen but that's not how it goes of course it doesn't yeah and uh, how long that's your own practice am i correct yes and how long have you been doing this particular i've had i've been i've been always like since even with i had two part-time jobs and then i always had a couple of clients Mm. so that's going back since the early 2000s i started my training for a while yeah i've been doing it for a while but i haven't given it so much focus as i have done in the last couple of years and obviously you're the experience, your your personal experience, your personal journey through uh, Dara's uh, passing, that must have changed something in the way you approach your your clients. You know, the, whatever yeah. they come in to you for whatever reason, it could be because their job is not particularly good. They want to, I don't know what yeah, they come yeah, up for all different reasons. It could from, be anything. From, yeah, mild um, stress to really But is that, has that helped your professional or can you are you using what you've learned about yourself through the experience to help others? Yeah, I often feel like it gave me a degree that I wouldn't yeah. necessarily have gotten, you know, any other way. Yeah. It it gave me a, a a a credential because I can't sit there and tell you about this. It is imperative that I live it because if I don't I could spend way too much time ruminating about the past yeah. and depressing myself. And I mean, I'm not saying that there are days where that's just has to be, you know, I just have to have let myself go there. But I really have to live it. It's like it just called me to stand up and walk the talk. There's no ambiguity with it. And I think there's something in that that is unspoken when I'm with somebody now. It's not even some people who a lot of people by now might know but some people didn't know for a while but it's something that they sense so i'm just saying and and i really have always been good at listening and not judging i'm only there to say you know what would you like to have happen and is there a way that you can help yourself you know it's like shining a light over there and you want to go that way go ahead you know so it's it's a really it really has impacted hugely. I think it's made me more authentic in, in that work. Yeah, I mean, even at the beginning of this conversation, you mentioned you as a 15-year-old putting your back against the, the tree, you know, and uh, I mean, I always lagged the tree ogres, you know. The, the, but <laughs> the way you described it, it got me thinking, well, maybe I should try it because, you know, you're 15, you weren't trying to show off anybody, you were just doing it because it meant something to you and then worked for you, so mm-hmm. why not? So that's the authenticity, I think it's great. And again, you going back, going back to California a few years ago when you were there learning, um, at the time, I suppose over there, they, they invented therapists as such, yes. you know, <laughs> well, they didn't quite invent it, but they took it on. But there's more and more people seeking that therapy now isn't it in Ireland there's more people for all variety why do you think it's that why do you think it's I think there's a number of reasons I I, I think that there's an awful lot an awful lot more freedom for people to express that they're not coping and that life is not turning out the way they'd hoped and they're not the person they hoped to be in it so there's a little bit more freedom to say that and to know that there are people out there who can help you with that and I also think that what happens is that something it it catches hold too. And so once people get permission, you know, if somebody says, well, I'm doing that and it's okay, then it gives other people permission to do the same thing. And then there's this, this idea that we tend, we do tend to follow trends. So if it is okay, if society kind of deems it as okay, we tend to say, all right, then there's no real judgment about that anymore. Whereas, and I know that people make, you know, funny remarks about sure everyone in California has a therapist or I just have to call my therapist. And I really feel your therapist is only the person who will help you connect in with you and will you give you back your power and get you back into deciding because we don't need an over-reliance on somebody outside either. Do you know? So it's, it's getting a balance. But I think today's society has... People have lost faith. What used to support people, the church, 
it's not available anymore or if it is it has so many kind of wounds that people aren't sure so we're trying to create what makes us feel okay what's right what feels good and what's bad what's right and what's wrong and actually it all just is but you know within when you do something that feels good when you help another person you just know it it feels right it's good yeah yeah well, the next song is absolutely perfect. It Fix You by Coldplay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, isn't that just a wonderful song? It's just, it's so evoking in, in its in its message, in how they sing it. And uh, my friend's in the choir and any time they sing it, she goes, I can't look at you because she knows that, you know, it, it's one of those songs, even if nothing ever happened to you. It's just such a lovely, you know, if, if the going gets tough, I want to be able to help you. You know, and we all have people who love us, and um, and we need to p- to notice that. You know, we need to just say, "Well, gosh, I'm very blessed because if we don't count our blessings, our life will feel per- fairly heavy." When you feel so tired but you can't sleep, stuck in rivers, and the tears. Come streaming down your face When you lose something you can't replace When you love someone but it goes to waste So, just before we're going to wrap it up, um, as we said before before we, we came into the studio, that uh, if anything, if this conversation can help one person out there, you know, job done. It'd be fantastic if somebody finds some sort of help or solace in in listening to this. But what what would you like to see changing to prevent what happened to to Dara, your son Dara? What what is there something should be we should be doing as a society? And I don't mean the government, and I don't mean is there something your know, magic wand time? What what should we do? Because it's all of us. It's it's yes, it it's, is. It's, you know, we're all in it. Yeah. I, magic wand time. I think it would be wonderful if we really could pay attention to each other again. And and I mean that sounds kind of trite and and very, but it's not. It it's in a in a real way. I think if we could really let go of the need to be more than, have more than, and really just got to a place where we basically understand each other and for example i'm thinking maybe and it might be a um a, a generalization about say the italian community but that idea where where we raise children in 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 a group where we're not isolated in our homes where we're all just cut off from each other getting in our cars driving in intense traffic getting to you know, in an office and it's frenetic all day coming back, but not really having real conversations or real relations. And I know this is part of your, you know, this is what you're pioneering to do is to bring that in. And it's very, it's almost let's go back to basics. Let's, when the snow came last year, we went back to basics. People were saying, we're, we're struggling out in the, in the snow, shuffling along, speaking to each other, sharing sugar again, sharing bread, yeah. sharing... It's that. It's the community, isn't it? It's yeah, just it's the, the importance of people and relationships and uh, and away from the screen and more, you know, making sure knocking next door and see if the person, maybe the elderly person next door needs some help for something. Yeah. As you said, there's no brought us back into all that. Are you okay? Do you need some cold? Do you need anything? You know? Yeah. You? Yeah. Um, and... What's your view on, I mean, there's some great, great organization. I know you did something with the Lust for Life, for example. Um, yeah, they're great. They're great. And uh, I was a couple of conferences with them. But I, I asked this to, uh, uh, Paul, uh, to Paula McLaughlin, the CEO. What the, the work that the Lust for Life are doing and the treaties, there's quite a lot of organizations, Pieta House and so on. How do you see that? Um, you know, and they're obviously helpful, but I'm I'm trying to get my head around. It's 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 how important is that for somebody going through bereavement, or going through, uh, you know, suicide or anything like that? How important is it, is the likes of a loss for life? You say they're great. Why are they great? 
Um, they're great because they're not afraid to talk about it. And it doesn't, they're great because they're, they, they say, this has to change. And uh, they're great because they, they're not afraid to say, I suffer and this is how I suffer and this is how I manage it. Now, your question kind of has another part to it. If I'm in a very dark place, I might not go online and look on a mm. lust for life and I might not have the concentration to read an article or I might not attend. So I think there's a couple of aspects. So fundamentally, I think there has to be, a, they are really stemming the tide of what's happening. They're dealing with the symptom now. And there needs to be plenty of organizations to cope with the onslaught of people who are suffering with anxiety or feelings of unworthiness or down to a level where they don't think they belong here anymore and they don't feel like they've anything to connect to. You really do need to feel like there's a community of people who understand that, who won't judge you, who won't make you feel worse than you already feel. And underneath that, I think with the younger generation coming up, and thankfully it's coming into schools where they're learning, children are now learning in primary school how to regulate themselves, how to become self-aware, how to calm down, how to express an emotion, how to breathe. And I think until that generation kind of brings it up with them again, and and we didn't know we had to play outside and we ran around that you know we we were i was of a generation where that happened children weren't watched all the time they weren't contactable all the time you weren't on your phone all the time so there was a lot more life and fresh air so i think until the generation comes back into balance and the younger children are now learning the importance of how to regulate myself how to breathe how to manage my thoughts how to know my thoughts aren't me they're just an aspect of me and a lust for life and Pieta House provide the coping mechanisms for people who are struggling with those, who, who don't know where they end and their thoughts begin, who don't know how to, you know, who find it so difficult to manage themselves in a day. It's really important. But there has to be the other as well. It has to come roots up. It has to come back to, you know, knowing how to be out in the air and play and have fun. And parents to relax and trust your child will be okay. You know, on the road I left in Rathangan, they have this brilliant thing, you know, the buddy bench they have in schools. Oh, yeah. But they have a parent bench. We live. I lived in a cul-de-sac with the kids. And they sit the parent bench on, on there's two greens. And so one parent or two usually sits out with a cup of tea and they watch the small ones from around the road and then the bench is carried over to the other green and all the small ones from over there. But there's one or two parents who are doing it. And I thought... What a wonderful community way of that's and yeah. those children are getting to play and children do squabble and fight. But you have to learn how to manage yourself in that. You yeah, know, it's, it's great. And I think uh, the more people I talk to, um, the more it's the same thread. You know, we just go back to basic. Let's keep it simple. Just, you know, just yeah. life can be fairly simple if you're not getting too hang up on what car you drive or whatever else, you know, whatever else makes it seems to be important to you this moment in time you know that that is a great great example of something that anybody can do in any estate you know, yeah right? carry just, the bench just do it and mm. bring a cup of tea out i always asked all the guests linda to give me a couple of words of wisdom and you you gave us an hour of wisdom <laughs> but just the what gets you up in the morning anything at all a quote or anything that uh, um, normally I'd have one at the tip of my tongue. Well, you know, the, the, there's a quote, there's a quote that I came to myself and it is smile every single chance you get. Cry when you need to and reach out when it all feels like it's too much. That's wonderful. And uh, we're going to finish it off with the uh, Hey Brother by Avicii. Yes. And again, that is a wonderful song and it, it, it's influenced by the younger people. And it's Ka it's Kira's song for her brother. And we heard that. And again, he was very interested in music and dance and she, she less so, but she loves music. And, um, that song came out just after. And to me, it's about all brothers, sisters. You know, I have, uh, cousins who lost their brother. Everybody, again, it's about family and it's about sometimes there's a bond with somebody that comes through. Some people have brothers who aren't related. They're not blood related or sisters who aren't, you know, who feel like that. And it's about that thing of we're all human beings and we're all doing the best we can in this world as it is. And hey, brother, I've got your back and I don't need to be with you. But I know 
I know you're there or hey sister I know you're there and so it's in the broader context of brother sister but I just think it's wonderful and I love the little bit of life to it it's very you know very jazzy. <laughs> it's very jazzy. Well, Linda Allen, that was absolutely amazing. Thanks, Amelia, for your time. Thank you so much, Andres. Thank you. Hey, brother, there's an endless road to rediscover. Hey, sister, know the water's sweet, but blood is thicker. The sky comes falling down for you. There's nothing in this world I wouldn't do. Hey, brother, do you still believe in one? If you got this far in the podcast, I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, would appreciate if you could leave a couple of stars and a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you got your podcast. It would be much appreciated. Thank you.